We're in an Advent series. Advent is all about expectation. Advent is, uh, has been part of the Christian liturgical calendar for millennia. I mean, like, forever. Um, as Protestants, especially those of us in the non-denominational world, we, we often live our lives without um, knowing even sometimes about the liturgical calendar and the liturgy and that, that Christians who have been following Christ for literally century after century after century have been, uh, celebrate or celebrates the wrong word, observe Advent, this, this expectation of the coming Messiah, the first coming, Christmas, but also the second coming, which is still we're waiting for. And Advent is just such an amazing thing. Um, in in this series, what we were doing and what we are doing is looking at various stories of Christmas throughout the scriptures. There's so many different perspectives. And last week we looked at the prophets and, and you know, we're going to be looking at Matthew's version and Luke's version and all of that. And today we had a certain message uh, that I was thinking about and praying about. And then um, on Tuesday after our staff meeting, I sat down with Pastor Jim and was just sharing some things that I was going through and I've been dealing with in my heart. And Pastor Jim said, I, I would just encourage you, would you pray and think about sharing that this Sunday? Because I think a lot of people are in the same place. And I did. And I don't want to share with you what this past couple of weeks have been, but I think God wants me to. And so I'm going to share with you. But um, what I'm going to ask is that... Uh, that you bear with me. Uh, I love being a part of Avalon Church. I love being a part of God's story here. Ray Lynn and I plan to be here for a long, long time. And so uh, just because I like the story that we're in doesn't mean I like every season that we're in. You know what I mean? You ever just been in a, ch a chapter of your story? You're like, Lord Jesus, could you please end this chapter? I'm ready for the next chapter. And um, that's kind of been this, this season. And so you're my family, and I'm going to share with you some things that have been weighing heavy on me. I'm going to be a bit vulnerable, and I have my tissues back here because I know me. I don't cry a lot, but it's this kind of stuff that gets me. And, um, and so I hope you're good with that. hope you're okay with it um, because I will be straight with you. I'm tired. Are you tired? And I'm weary it's beyond just I need more sleep. In fact, I don't. I'm okay, you know, but I'm weary. And I know I'm not alone. I know that there are a lot of people in this room, a lot of people watching online, a lot of people who aren't watching online who are weary and anxious and tired. Um, I know that for many of us, this frustration of our kids being in online school seems like it's going on forever, and it is weighing heavy. The frustration in your home, the tension is at the highest levels maybe you've ever seen. I know that um, there's real depression in some of our, our family, in, in, in our community. There's frustration and loneliness. I know that some people are trying to find jobs and just can't seem to find what they need. And I know some others are watching loved ones struggle to find jobs and they're not finding what they need. And it hurts even worse watching somebody you love in pain. I know that there's fear and anger over COVID, whether it be the sickness itself, which we have been dealing with a lot lately, uh, the changes that have resulted in our lives because of the disease, the, the, is it a disease? Is it, I don't know, sickness, whatever. This being one of the largest, that just drives me crazy, but that we do. 
Um, I know that there's anger of the carelessness sometimes where you just feel like, why don't other people love me by um, helping me stay safe, that kind of stuff. And then in the midst of that, there's anxiety in our country. I know. And I know that in our family, there are marriages that are really struggling. And since uh, our lives are so separate with, with you know, quarantines and canceled services and canceled events and canceled life groups and canceled everything, that it's just really easy to be alone. It's really easy to hide our stuff and not let anybody in. Well, uh, I think, and in, in frankly, we're, we're kind of like, listen, I don't want you to share your junk because I already got enough of my junk, and, and so we're tired. I know that we tell people we're okay, but we're not okay, many of us. And that, I, I'll be honest, I'm not okay either, and I, I don't want to fake it, but I've been feeling empty, and I needed to share with you some things, not because of a pity party, but because I think there's hope at the end of the story. <laughs> I think that when we know that the chapter is going to end, that gives us hope to be to sustain through it. And um, so I wanted to just be honest and real and vulnerable uh, on this side of the issue so that we can get to the other side. We'll be healthy. Um, you know, I, I came to Avalon three years ago this week. Somebody showed me on Facebook. Thank you. Three years ago. It, no, you don't have to clap because it's like the shortest, longest three years of my life, right? You know, you go, gosh, it's been three years. It's amazing. But doesn't it feel like 2020 was three years long at the same time? It's, it's the most bizarre thing. And I remember I was, um, I came so bright-eyed. I had actually been out of the ministry for a while going back to school. And uh, so I'd been serving as an interim pastor or I, I, I served uh, f- with a friend just helping him with his church plant. Most of the time I was a substitute teacher making bank, I tell you what. And, um, and those were fun days. But when I, so when I came back to, to be a lead pastor full time, I was so bright eyed. I mean, I had been praying I didn't know Avalon Church existed when, when Raylan and I decided that this was what God was leading us to, going back into full-time pastor ministry. So I was praying, Jesus, fill my heart, give me vision, help me be, pre- help me be prepared so that when we go somewhere, we're going to be ready to run. And so, man, I came and I was so excited. I remember interviewing with the pastor search team and there was this one moment over dinner at Rod's house. Well, good to see you here. <laughs> um, and I was asked by the group, what is my vision for the church? And so I shared on Jesus' teaching on prayer, you know, you know the one, Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I asked the group, I said, what would, it be, what would that look like if a church, a community of people invited Jesus to do that? To, for his kingdom to be realized or lived out in our community as it is in heaven. Like, what would it be like if a church truly said, we want to be a preview of what God's kingdom looks like, where we're unified racially and politically, or, or we're unified in, even though we are diverse racially, politically, or theologically, that we look so much to Jesus as the one who we're seeking after that all of the other things we differ on, they're okay. We accept that we're different because what draws us together is not our politics or our theology or our race, but it's because of Jesus, and we want to follow him. And I remember this moment 
where we were talking about what did it look like to love God together and to go and grow together and to sacrificially love the Avalon community together. And one of the the people around the table, one of the search team, with tears in their eyes, said, I want to be a part of that kind of church too. And there was this holy moment that I called my wife when we got, I got back to the hotel that night. I said, I, there was a moment tonight where there was complete and utter unity that, that we all want this thing that seems so elusive. So we all believed that God was in it. We all believed that God was leading my family here, and we were so excited and still believe that, by the way. <laughs> The transition is hard, and my bright-eyedness got weary pretty quick because we, there was transition was all over the place, and it was hard. And so many people left the church before I came, and so many more people left the church after I came, including the worship pastor who was our youth pastor and our life groups director, and so many of you were, were just grieving that Pastor Dale had left. I mean, he, he was so loved, and you were so loved, and... And I know that so many people were grieving and the transition was hard, not just for me. I actually was ready for it. But everybody else, I just realized that there was something different. That, um, and I know that when you, look at, you looked at me, especially in those early days, I'm not what most people expect from a pastor. I know that. I don't know if it's the genes or the bad jokes or whatever. Me telling you about my life like I am today, I don't know. But I realize how hard that can be for some. And real people struggled. In that first year, I was called some pretty bad names, names I've never been called before as people left. And the church was really in a financial bind that first year. Um, when I came in, I mean, we were, we were having to dip into savings every month just to make ends meet. So I, I remember when the first year was over, I, I said, you know, that was the year of triage. That was the year where um, it didn't matter what we had planned. The goal was identify the wounds so that we can begin healing. And I thank God for a great staff team that helped, helped that happen because healing happened. And between all of our pastors and staff, I tell you what, we made it through that 2018 year. And it was like, it was the end of the year was better than the beginning. And so we went into year two with this, this, this hope, this hope of vision and strategy and clarity. And we were praying, Jesus, help us figure out the, how we can be your kingdom on earth to this Avalon community. And we prayed, God, how can you use us? How can we go and grow together? And we, we believed, we, we came to the point in, in year uh, two that God was calling us to pay it forward. That was the solution, pay it forward. That's when we started beginning this item of the month. That's when we started, we, we realized that um, we needed to invest in families because youth and children, they're, they're not the future of the church. They are the current church, but they are the future leaders of the church, and we need to disciple them and pour into them. So we will become disciples as we pour into families. And so we had a good foundation already with Lisa, our children's director. And so in 2019, we, we decided that we were going, even though we, we, budget was hard, we weren't, we weren't even making budget yet. We were praying, saying, Lord, you lead us. And so we decided we are going to make the investment and prepare to hire a youth pastor. And it was a big deal, man. I tell you what, the elders, we wrestled with it. And it was, it was tough. 
But there was a lot of expectation that, that this was the beginning of the new chapter. That, that you know, strategy and vision was year two, but year three was going to be the day when we start implementing stuff and we start pushing forward. And um, I remember that we, it took us forever to hire Pastor Mike, who was our worship pastor, to become our worship and youth pastor. And I remember so much that this team that we had, I mean, we wrestled, we interviewed so many different people, we went through this long process, but we knew Mike was the guy. And Mike's first night with the youth ministry, that Tuesday night, was three days before COVID shut the world down. Three days! And you're like, poor Mike. All of the rest of us, at least we were doing something. Mike comes in like he doesn't even know the students. Woo, it's great. And, you know, I remember that Wednesday. Man, last night was great. It was awesome. And then, you know, two days later we shut it down and he didn't get to meet a student for the next four months. It was like, well, we were on a trajectory. Trajectory changed. No services, no kids ministry, no youth ministry, no community, no meeting budget. People hurt, angry, scared, lonely. Our country was a mess. But for me, for me, the hardest thing, and this is where I say, I I hope you're okay with me sharing, but the hardest thing to recover from personally was those in our church family who felt like they had to leave because of either something I said or didn't say, preaching-wise, or one of our pastors. And I got to tell you, it's okay but we're family and it breaks my heart that people feel like they have to leave because of me. And it's weight heavy, which brings me to why I'm sharing. Because last Monday, I, was, I, I woke up like I normally do at 5.30, grabbed my iPad to start having a, my time with God, and I prayed, Jesus, I need to hear from you today. I am desperate to be refreshed by you because my soul is empty. And because I'm distracted often in praying, I write my prayers down a lot. And Monday's prayer was overflowing. And as I shared that prayer with with Jim, that's when he said, I think you need to think about talking to the church about it. So I hesitated. I don't want to share because this was my prayer. This is my time with God. But I really felt like I should read a couple of excerpts from that prayer because I think it will help us on the turn the page and say, okay, when the next chapter starts, it will give us hope because God showed me some things that um, I'm still wrestling with in a good way. Here's what I pray. Lord, I need you. My soul is weary. Several people are leaving and it just makes me sad. And I'm anxious, Lord, and I'm, I'm scared. I'm worried about the church financially, and I'm worried about COVID continuing and how to lead through this. And have I let you down? Have I let others down? Jesus, comfort me. Encourage me. Anxiety is unhealthy. I know it is, but I don't know how to stop being anxious. I'm willing to change, but honestly, I don't know what to change. So I need you to lead me. Don't let me lead in my own strength. Surround me with some other people who will run the race with me. Surround me with others who who feel the burden with me because I don't want to do this alone. Please help me deal with the heaviness that comes from leading others to Jesus. I don't want our church to just survive. I want people to discover you. I want new people to find Jesus and follow you. I want people to grow to maturity and have a passion to help other people find Jesus and grow them to maturity. And then... 
I prayed my own heart through the Lord's Prayer. And this is what I said. I said, may your kingdom come. May your will be done in my life and in our church. Give me what I need to live and survive. But also, Lord, give us all what we need to thrive together. Forgive us our many sins, our comfort, our our desire for complacency and being satisfied with inconsequential motion, just doing things and doing things. And help us be forgiving and gracious and patient and allow others to begin their journey with you right where they are. Help us to not be judgmental. Lead us out of our stale and broken expectations into new and fresh waters. Deliver us from evil through the power of your Holy Spirit because this is your church and we are your kingdom people. You are our sustenance, our provider, and our motivation for all we do. I'm scared and anxious. Help me experience your presence and trust that I am not forgotten. Amen. So on Monday, I mean, like, type in and type in and type in. And as I finished the prayer, this thought came to my mind. Do a search for all of the places in the Bible where I, God said to his people, fear not, do not be afraid. And so I did. Wow, was that a long list? But I read every single one. And there were a couple of places, a couple of these passages that were really interesting to me because if you heard our message last week, I shared about uh, the story of Jesus from the perspective of the prophets. So it was all about this Messiah who was coming. In the midst of all of the bad stuff, there was going to be this Messiah who comes and the prophets were giving us glimpses or giving them glimpses of what this Messiah would be like. And you know what I found just amazing is that before a lot of those Messiah passages was the words, do not fear, do not be afraid. And I I never realized it the week before as I was studying for all these passages, I didn't realize that in the midst of, I mean, the reason they were given these promises was because it was so bad. And God was saying, I will not forget you, I will not forget you. And he gave them promises and he said, in the midst of the awfulness, do not fear. And then this is what's going to happen. And And so I wanted to to share with you a little bit of these passages because I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know if you are like me and you're just tired and weary and scared and you have anxiety. Maybe there's a sense of dissatisfaction that life is not turning out how I hoped it would. Maybe you just need a win. Well, that's where I was. And then I read some of these passages and I wanted to share a couple with you. So I hope that's okay. If it's not, that's okay. I got the mic. Ah. The first one from Isaiah 7. And by the way, two of these I read last week. But we're going to look at them through a very different lens. Isaiah 7. King Ahab. If If you know your Old Testament, you know King Ahab is not a good name. King Ahab was about to lead Israel through the consequences of centuries of rebellion. The nation was about to experience unimaginable destruction. Everything they knew was about to be wiped out permanently. And so when God said, then then God said this to a rebellious king Ahab. He said in verse 4, be careful. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. Do not lose heart. For the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And we'll call him Emmanuel. Ahab, the road you are about to go on is long and, you are, and your people are going to suffer. In fact, many of you will die. But Emmanuel, 
God with us. I will be with you. And I will offer you hope for the future. See, Ahab, destruction is not the end. For I am going to do something brand new with the rubble. You don't know how long this chapter is going to last. You don't even know if you're going to see the end. But I am promising you this, Ahab. I am working even in this. Don, even in the midst of all of your, your unrealized trajectories and expectations, I'm not surprised and I haven't forgotten you. This is what God was saying to me. I am still Emmanuel, God with you. No matter how bad it gets, I am with you. I'm working even in all of this to make something new. And by the way, Avalon Church and anybody who's listening, that's for you too. Emmanuel, God is with you. God is aware of where you are and what you're enduring right in this moment. So be careful. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. Do not lose heart. Emmanuel, God is with you. But then there was another passage that spoke to me so deeply. I also read this one last week, or at least part of it. Isaiah 35. These words were spoken after chapter 34, which is amazing, obviously. And chapter 34 is all about judgment and punishment and destruction and suffering. The entire chapter, it's awful. And then right after all of that, where God basically says, you have done, you have rebelled against everything I've ever said, fine. Deal with the consequences of your own life, your own choices. You want to do it on your own? Here it is. And it's not pretty. And then in, right after that, in the midst of death's valley, when, when you don't know how long this is going to be, when this is going to last, God says, chapter 35, verse 1, even in the wilderness and in the desert, we'll be glad. You will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with spring crocuses. I don't know what a spring crocuses is, but I read it's very beautiful. Commentaries don't have pictures. They should. I could have Googled it. Never dawned on me until this moment. But in the desert, flowers will rise. Verse 2, yes, there will be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy. The deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon. There, will, there the Lord will display his glory, the splendor of our God. Yeah, it's been destructive. It's been horrible. You've seen death. You've lost your family. But I'm telling you this, the Lord says, there's going to be a day when even the deserts Flowers will burst forth and there will be singing and joy. Verse 3, with this news, with the news that I am going to restore, strengthen those who have tired hands and encourage those who have weak knees. Verse 4, say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He's coming to save you. I mean, this is so good that right in the middle of despair, God promises the hope that he is going to save his people. It's in the midst of the, I mean, you gotta think about it. And this is what I appreciate so much about the Lord. It's in the midst of the awful consequences. They hadn't turned back to the Lord yet. They were actually still rebelling, going into suffering because of their own bad choices. 
still unrepentant. Ahab was not a good guy. It's in the midst of this awfulness that God says, I have not forgotten you. I will give you hope. This is not the end. You are my child. This present situation is difficult, he says. And it may continue to be difficult. In fact, for them, it would continue to be difficult. Maybe it's not your fault. Maybe the suffering that you're dealing with is your fault. Either way, though life seems like a desert right now, though it seems like a wasteland, it will bloom again. What currently feels like death and destruction and suffering and anxiety and dryness will be transformed into joy, an abundance of joy. I'm telling you what, I needed to hear that on Monday. I needed to hear that this morning. God is saying that my glory God is saying, my glory will be displayed in your life. So be patient, have hope, trust me. And then share this hope with others who are scared because this is not the end of their story either. This is not the end of your story. I don't know what you're going through. Some of you are having amazing times. I mean, some of you, your business is thriving because of the situation we're in, because it just so happened you were at the right place at the right time, and that's awesome. So I don't want to expect everybody, but I just know that more than any time in my ministry history, which is, gosh, I am like old, so what is that, like 30 years of, of ministry, I have never seen a time where more, this many people were in such like dryness and just, ugh. But it's not the end of the story because when, when he comes, it will be glorious. And then that, it's in that moment, those words that Isaiah starts talking about the future Messiah. And this is, this is so good. It says, and when he comes, verse 5, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. Verse 6, the lame will leap like deer. And those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness and streams will water the wasteland. These images, I mean, think about it. The blind will see. Sounds so wonderful to us when we read the the stories of Jesus healing the blind. But for those who actually cannot see, these are words of absolute life. Because if you're blind, restored sight offers unimaginable opportunity. It is the prospect of brand new purpose in your life, unlimited possibility. I mean, for the blind to see, it's a whole new world. These words are just life-changing. And then he says the same way, the deaf will hear. Those who can't walk will jump and run. Uh, Frailty becomes possibility. Powerlessness becomes strength. Defenselessness leads to now, not only are you secure, but you, you help others become secure. You, you become a defender of the weak. That is the promise of Christmas, the promise of Jesus coming, the promise to all who follow Jesus. Though it might be tough right now, and frankly, it might be tough for the rest of your life. I've been reading about Dietrich Bonhoeffer lately going, this, this guy, he, he, he died a martyr. Yeah, it might be tough. It might be tough the rest of our lives. But God says, be assured, you will see me work in miraculous ways. And even when this life is over, you can know with certainty that this is not the end. This is not it. The Old Testament is full of these kinds of stories where people are waiting with unmet expectation for God to finally arrive, for the Messiah to come. I mean, they are longing for it. 
When Jesus came, everybody, when, when they said the Messiah might have come, everybody's heart leapt for joy because they were looking for the Messiah. Now, he looked very different than what most of them thought Messiah would be like, and so many of them rejected him. But the reality is everybody was waiting for him. Everybody. And so there's all these stories in the Old Testament where God, where they're looking forward to God coming and meeting these, these expectations. And the New Testament letter to the Hebrews calls those people in the Old Testament, calls those people who came before a great cloud of witnesses. And the great cloud of witnesses inspire us to have faith. Their faith inspires our faith. But we have something they didn't. We have Christmas and we have Easter and those two change everything. Those two holidays are what they longed to see. Jesus has come. And that's why the author of Hebrews, and this, these are going to be my final, one of my final scriptures. It says in verse, chapter 12, verse 1, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Don't just stay put. Don't just, don't just don. Don't just whine and be sad. It's okay to be sad, but don't just sit there in your misery. Don't, don't let bad choices impede what, what I want to do in your life, he says. Your story, my story, it's part of a larger story. And even though I have no idea how long this chapter is going to last, I can run with perseverance. Because verse 2, he says, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The way a mother forgets the pain of childbirth as soon as she holds that baby, Jesus is saying that being reunited with you and me, Jesus is saying being reunited with humanity makes all the suffering of the cross joy in comparison. Think about that. The cross is the worst form of the death penalty I could ever imagine. I can't imagine a worse way of dying than, than hanging on a cross. Yet Jesus is saying that for the joy before his set before him, to be reunited with us was so worth it and so valuable that when he looks back on the cross, it's, he considers it joy, it was worth it. The pain and suffering, and anxiety, and fear, and all the things we're going through right now. He's saying, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, because in the same way, your pain and suffering, you will look back one day and go, for the joy of what, what I'm experiencing, or what I've seen, what God has done, I wouldn't change that. So fix your eyes on the promised one. Verse 3, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Don't lose heart. <sighs> okay, we're back to me because it's all about me, right? Um, my prayer on Monday, don't lose heart. Your weariness and anxiety, they're real. But Jesus is walking with you. Jesus is walking with you. Maybe your story doesn't look like it's going anywhere right now. Maybe your story just seems like it's too long and you just need a win. You know, when I, I read these fear not verses, I realize that I am in the same line of people throughout the Bible that felt the exact same way. And then one day God showed up 
Then one day, an angel declared to a bunch of, bunch of shepherds in a field. Will you go to the next verse? The, uh, it's that one. Do not be afraid, because I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. That today in the town of Bethlehem, or today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is Christ, the Lord. Jesus was born to save us. And his promise is that he will come again to right every wrong and heal everything that has been broken. I want to invite the band to come up. And as they come up, I want to, I'm just going to close. Because um, I want to make sure we understand that the joy that the reason that we have to be told fear not or do not be afraid is because we have fear. Jesus doesn't eliminate, following Jesus doesn't eliminate the weariness and it doesn't eliminate the fear, but it does give hope that the end is truly good. And that the things that we fear now, God is so good, he can use them to make something new. So let's pray for each other. Let's walk with each other. Let's support each other because weariness is real and Jesus walks with us in it and more than anything, he gives us hope that it is not always going to be this way. In fact, it is going to be good and that the, the wreckage for some of us, the wreckage of our lives right now are going to be exactly what Jesus builds upon, builds something new. That will be the foundation that something new is built. And that is hope. Let's pray together. Jesus, I hope I didn't depress everybody today. I really do. Because this week, it was a rough one. So God, I pray that uh, just me sharing um, where I am right now, I pray that it bless somebody. I pray that all of us uh, see these passages of Scripture as so full of hope because you are the hope. I'm so grateful that we live on this side of Christmas. I'm so grateful that we know you, that we're not, we're not expecting some future Messiah, but that you came and that your Holy Spirit lives within us and that as we walk towards your second advent, as we, as we live this life preparing for you to fix everything finally, oh God, we have the hope that you are working in us and through us, that you are changing lives uh, and using us as your instrument, help us to be a church that even in when we're weary, we have hope that you are not done. Oh, Jesus, I pray that for our congregation and I pray that for us individually. In your name we pray. Amen.